What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 9 of Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today, we are diving quite deep into the world of the, the online space. And uh, with us today, we have a gentleman by the name of Sipo. He works at Maltwater, but I'll leave it up to him to kind of give us a bit of context to who he is and what he does. So, yeah, take it away, Sipo. Thank you, Shannon. Um, thanks for having me. And uh, as you mentioned, my name is uh, Sipo. Um, and uh, I currently work for a company called Maltwater. Um, and Maltwater is uh, currently the global leader in media intelligence. Um, and I guess it's a, that's a fancy way of saying that we specialize in media monitoring. Um, and we help companies use external data. So anything really around social media or online news um, to inform uh, their internal business uh, strategy. So I work with quite a number of uh, clients across Africa um, and with the interest and uh, speciality in working with uh, businesses across East Africa. Perfect. Before we dive into kind of what you're doing now, um, when you were in high school, this is obviously something we cover with each episode. What, where did you see yourself working and is this kind of something that's completely different from what you expected back then? <laughs> It's quite funny, actually, because I remember grade eight quite clearly where I was adamant on becoming an ambassador. I don't know what of, but I definitely wanted to be in the front lines of representing our country in some way or another. Um, and I think in grade 10, um, I was really looking forward um, to, to taking on that route. Um, and as one does in grade 11 and matric, things change um, and you realize that, you know, to become an ambassador, you actually have to spend just over five years in Pretoria. <clears throat> and that alone gave me a, a fright. So I decided to uh, take a gap year. Um, and actually during my gap year, I came across, um, I guess, the opportunity to travel around the UK. Um, and with that, um, I had a, an interest in the environment. Um, and quite quickly uh, saw the opportunity to pursue studies in environmental sciences. Um, and I guess I actually saw myself as a consultant um, of, of the environment. And I guess now, you know, with times have changed, all things digital, I'm sitting as, a, a, I guess, a specialist in, uh, in media intelligence. And obviously taking a gap year is, is something that used to be quite frowned upon back, you know, call it a decade ago. Um, coming from someone who's done it, is that something that you think helped you kind of progress in your, in kind of choosing a career path and, and committing to it? Or, you know, is there, is there pros and cons to it? Sure. Um, I think when you look at the concept of a gap year, to be quite honest, it took myself and my best friend a year to convince my parents uh, in grade 11 and uh, and also, I guess, starting grade 11, but grade 12 is really where we started um, having the, the dinners um, to ensure that we were aligned of what to do for, for the year. But I think it, it's, you know, naturally, uh, maybe to give some context, uh, I went to Howick High School um, and I don't know what it is, but if you're a KZN boy, um, you often like to excel in everything. You know, we put our heart into sports, um, we put our heart into academia. And on both fronts, um, I was really passionate on the sporting end and really passionate on the academic. Um, and my parents always told me, you know, do whatever you want. Um, and 
that was always a hard decision to make as soon as you, you know, enter matric. So I guess when my best friend, you know, mentioned the idea of traveling for a year, it kind of just, you know, gave me the opportunity to take another year to kind of understand, you know, what I can um, achieve. And to be quite honest, traveling outside of South Africa for the first time definitely teaches you a lot. And most especially prepare, prepared me quite a lot uh, for stepping into uh, university where I studied University of Cape Town. So all being said, definitely worth their investment. Um, and, you know, I think the year preparation before um, resulted in me, you know, taking full advantage of uh, the gap year itself. So, yeah, I would say definitely an opportunity not missed. Obviously, you, you studied, you were in the, the world of the, the environmental kind of aspect. What kind of convinced you to then pursue career in the online space? Obviously, that's a growing um, sector, but what kind of cemented your choice in, in choosing online? Sure. I guess it's a number of events uh, throughout studying. Um, when I was studying at UCT <clears throat> over you know, the, the first four years, um, I was in the science department, so really didn't have much time to interact and engage with people, you know, being stuck in a lab um, or doing uh, off-site assignments with um, the environmental uh, department. But I think picking up odd jobs, um, there was one in particular that really um, sparked an interest for me to to maybe look into sales uh, was uh, an a society that started off um, in my first year, it was called Ike's Vibe. <clears throat> and really, this is, I guess you can call it a membership where students uh, can uh, sign up and support and, you know, be fans of the Ike Tigers, which is the, the rugby team in, in UCT. And then also just the, all the number of different sports uh, that were, were involved in on campus. And part of it was, you know, getting buy-in uh, from students, uh, signing them up into the membership. And through doing that for three to four years, I naturally engaged with so many different people. I mean, to be honest, I probably you know spoke to over 25,000 people throughout um, my uh, years there. And then um, naturally that was the, the sales image of being a people's person. Um, and only after uh, university, I came across um, an exciting opportunity to work for a consultancy firm that really focused on helping uh, companies um, into the African market. So businesses who are wanting to expand or penetrate specific markets. And the company was called Frost and Sullivan. Um, and that's really where I started understanding um, the application of, you know, um, I don't want to say knowledge, but uh, the real world where, uh, you know, a company wanting to to uh, enter the Ghanaian market, what do they actually need to do um, to remain competitive and relevant? Um, and I think from there, sort of understanding business in a sense. Um, and quite funny enough, when I stepped into to Maltwood, I had no idea, um, you know, anything about the online space. Uh, anything about, you know, what is digital transformation, what is the impact of social media and news. But I think my knowledge, again, from Frost and Sullivan around Africa, then allowed for me to quite easily speak about, you know, the different industries um, in different markets across Africa. <clears throat> for example, um, you know, the 
yeah, I guess the increase of uh, the use of social media in Kenya. Um, I remember in my interview uh, with Maltwitter, um, they asked me a question about, you know, which market or which country in Africa do you think, um, you know, is, is booming? And I spoke about Kenya quite heavily. And I think from that, uh, the passion really, they were like, perfect. Um, this is someone that can definitely, one, you know, execute on the consultancy side, passionate about Africa, um, you know, has a bit of uh, sales background. And all we need to teach him is, you know, what is uh, social media or what is um, data, uh, so to speak. So, yeah, I just fell, fell into it in that way. And it's been a good, good five years now. <laughs> I think, um, you know, when looking at, you know, tertiary education as a whole, there's a lot of pressure on students to make that call. Um, just want to touch on this quickly before we move on to what you're doing currently. But obviously studying something like um you know like you said you were stuck in a lab for quite a bit of time and then finding yourself now working in something completely different to that is that kind of just a testament to you know just i don't want to say the 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 invalidation of you know tertiary education but it's kind of just you know you don't really need to be you know doing your your phd or or something and then being stuck in that field, you can easily digress by kind of just educating yourself and getting that information outside of tertiary education. So would you say that's a kind of a valid point that if you educate yourself on a certain topic, you can easily kind of work your way into a different career path? Sure. <clears throat> I guess it's actually quite funny. Today um, on my walk, uh, I, was, uh, I met someone who is now doing their PhD, um, and they are an environmental consultant. Um, and I was quite excited because I haven't met anyone doing it since I finished UCT. And I was like, what do you actually do? What is it like? Um, yeah. And they were quite shocked. And I said, you know, I did environmental sciences. That was what I wanted to do. But I think if I look back to um, the importance of going to um, university or college or, or, or something similar, it really just lays a foundation, um, a foundation for you to work hard, um, a foundation for you to, I guess, take in knowledge um, and and also just disciplining you as uh, someone who can start something and finish it. But <clears throat> throughout that process, um, you're either someone who is an academic, you know, you continue masters, um, a PhD, etc., or you want to work. Um, and make money <laughs> and you want to apply what you've learned and I've always been someone who needs to do the work um, and I think I knew that um, when I started obviously doing um, the odd few jobs but all in all like tertiary is super important because if I look at the way in which um, we even hire most organizations look at you know at least a minimum uh, qualification of a degree so you know you're not helping yourself um, if you don't have at least that as a backing but it doesn't um, mean to say that you can't you know invest in your yourself um, and something that I have noticed over the last you know four months let's just say January February March during quarantine <laughs> we've no, I've noticed a lot of people um, investing in their own education um, and that doesn't entirely mean you know you need to go back to university but there's a lot of um, you know, innovative uh, online opportunities or platforms to continue your studies. Um, and I think if I look at the opportunity I took with 
uh, UCT. I definitely um, studied, finished what I need to do, but I quickly wanted to get out into the real world. But having worked for five years, I also understood that oof, I really need context um, in parts of um, you know how to 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 do business. Um, you know what is accounting, what is ecos, and all these things. Um, and <clears throat> actually, recently. Um, then stepped into um, an executive MBA um, opportunity, which is obviously now, uh, you know, me investing in myself and understanding, you know, what has have I learned over the last five years um, and getting more deeper context into how business is done. So I think it's a balance of both. Um, there will come a time where um, there is, a, well, there's always going to be a time for you. You need to have an education, um, whatever it may be. Uh, diploma or whatever it is but at a later stage be prepared to continue learning um, and be ready to take it on and it's important to do so because it does really set you apart um, from you know your colleagues um, or in this case if you want to step up to a different um, role or responsibilities picking up more ed education is super super important so um, I'm really happy that that is uh, something that I've started um, and I think We'll see lots um, uh, and more people uh, doing online courses. Yeah, I think it's also just to to say that, you know, if you do spend three, four years studying, for instance, something like accounting and you feel like that's not your your path, it's, it's not like you capped to that. You can kind of just stray into a different world as long as you just, like you say, educate yourself and obviously just in, be informative and always be willing to learn. I think that's quite an important message for, for kids that are kind of feeling quite pressured to stay in one little bubble. But diving into to your career at Meltwater, it's been five years now. Um, your Instagram bio says you have a passion for Africa. So <laughs> I just want to know kind of what sparked that interest, obviously traveling outside of Africa, you know, when you, when you took your gap year that kind of make you reflect and see what we as a continent have to offer um, right here on our soil? Yeah, jeez. Oh, you know, when I look back at, um, you know, the times I was excited about taking a gap year and deciding where we will go, the UK, we go around Europe, um, maybe Asia, um, Africa never really um, came to mind. But when I started at Frost & Sullivan, this is really where um, I started developing a keen interest um, in what is happening, um, you know, within Africa. Um, and I was really shocked and amazed of how much uh, knowledge I didn't know. Um, and I was, I always thought South Africa is, you know, where everything happens. Um, and, yeah. you know, when people say countries, you know, you're not in, you're not in uh, Africa if you're in South Africa. Um, I never really knew what that meant. Um, but when I started learning more about business in Africa and some of the exciting companies uh, that are doing well, I had to know more. Um, and I guess that developed. And when I stepped into Maltwater, I have never met uh, or stepped into a company that invested so much um, in Africa and the way we do business um, in Africa specifically. And with that being said, I had the opportunity to uh, form part of a team that was responsible for expanding our footprint in Africa. Um, and over the last five years, I've been doing business with companies in Nigeria, or should I say West Africa as a whole, East Africa as well, and a few obviously in Southern Africa. 
but I developed this this passion um, for East Africa. And what that meant is that, you know, two years ago, I was fortunate enough to be promoted as the managing director for our Kenya um, office, which I then uh, set up and launched. And that meant I got to travel to Kenya, you know, touching ground in Africa. It's completely different to what you expect. And I really felt at home. Um, and I started asking myself, why would I ever want to go anywhere else if I haven't done the whole continent first and then go seek other areas? But that passion of meeting, you know, the, the locals in, in Kenya um, really sparked that interest and the continuity in investing my time um, and I guess my days um, in, uh, in Africa. And working with, with these various companies, um, East and West Africa, what are kind of what what's your thoughts on how they've sort of implemented the online you know into the online space um and how powerful has that been for these companies and and kind of what ha- what can we take from that hmm. yeah oh, when I, uh, i've been thinking about this for quite some time and if i look at west africa as an example i mean if we're talking about uh, nigeria as a country I mean, it's got quite a high uh, population um, and I guess the uptake of technology there has been quite quick uh, because they've needed to really adapt to the demand of the population. So whether it's, um, you know, making payments uh, via WhatsApp or whether it's, uh, I guess, uh, having various methods of making um, payments, um, the adoption in, uh, in different markets have been really quick. Um, and I mean, if we, we, we even rank ourselves in terms of mobile penetration, internet penetration to other African markets, um, I think the top, you know, top five we're talking um, around South Africa, Nigeria, uh, Ghana, Kenya, Egypt, most likely. Um, and the way that it's easier um, to have uh, access to, to, to data as well. I mean, not easier, but it's cheaper, definitely, um, in those markets. Uh, makes it really easy for people to, to rely um, on all things online um, and also technology to be a gateway um, to doing things on a day-to-day. So I must say that, you know, during the last four or five months, um, the online space has been accelerated in South Africa due to COVID-19 and, you know, forcing people to obviously rely on technology um, to connect. But the rest of Africa Africa have been doing it for quite some time already. Um, And we can see that through the number of different services and companies that have um, pretty much delivered on on services to to rural areas. Um, And I guess, you know, one that comes to mind is Safaricom, in East Africa um, that really has pioneered in terms of uh, their solution called M-Pesa. Um, and I encourage everyone to read up on M-Pesa. Um, and we tried to do the same thing as Africa and it failed. So that already says a lot. Um, I'm not saying that we, you know, there's, there's no, there's nothing in the future, but it just shows you, you know, how, how many things we still yet to learn um, from our neighboring countries too. What would you say um, is, Obviously, I feel like we all kind of fall into this bubble until we do explore the rest of Africa. But it almost feels like we feel as South Africans that we are the center of this continent and kind of everything revolves around us. Um, but as you've, you've 
stated now that we're kind of falling behind, especially in the online sector. How would you rate our kind of adaption adaption rates to the online space in South Africa? Do you think there's still a lot to do that, that can be done? Um, and yeah, just your thoughts on that. Um, I definitely think so. I mean, if you look at the amounts or the number of active tech hubs um, in South Africa, we have 80 stepping into uh, 2020. We have 48 in Kenya, um, 85 in Nigeria, and 56 in Egypt. Um, and if you consider that alone, like, I mean, there's a lot of investment um, and innovation that comes from uh, tech hubs. Um, and if you look at the, the investment that has been happening over the last four months, the majority of them have really been focused on um, companies outside of uh, Africa investing in um, countries like Nigeria, like Ghana, like Kenya. Um, and some of these uh, tech hubs have really um, given rise to the most innovative uh, startups. Um, and if you look at the rise of startups across uh, the, the continent, um, you know, South Africa, we really have talent. Um, and I just, I just wish that we can have a, a platform uh, where we can, uh, you know, be seen um, and also uh, inspire uh, local um, entrepreneurs. But I think when it comes to, uh, when it comes to all things um, online and digital space, it's all about uh, the fear of the online space. Um, I think if you look at the e-commerce space in SA, it's really just taking shape. Um, you know, over the last year or two years, um, and also just you know the trust that people have uh, on shopping online um, is pioneered by a few players in SA, like Tech a lot, um, just to name one uh, that comes to mind. But if you look at other markets like you know Nigeria and Kenya, like I mean, people are definitely um, invested and feel comfortable, um, and also trust um, all things um, online, whether it's payments. Um, or uh, yeah, purchasing uh, any goods online. So I think, I think it's all got to do with just um, how society uh, feels uh, about uh, doing things the new way rather than traditional way of paying cash or swiping a card. So we are a little bit behind, but um, we're definitely uh, moving in the right direction. Would you say that obviously with with COVID nineteen coming in um, as a a worldwide um, pandemic? it's kind of shown and accelerated where we lack and kind of where we need to improve on. Um, do you think this will kind of spark that now that, you know, we need to start investing in the online space because that's where it's, where we're going currently. Do you think that's now kind of the kick, you know, that we, we needed as a country? Um, obviously there's a lot of things that come along with that, but I think for businesses, it's kind of shown where we are kind of weak in a sense. Yeah, I think if anything, it's definitely accelerated um, e-commerce in SA. Um, and it's also, I guess it's also developed a whole new market um, where a lot of, you know, companies are starting to find that there is a need um, for, you know, online food and FMCG um, companies to focus on a whole new um, uh, customer base that is online, but also uh, how to capture the market that have not been online and finding innovative ways um, to deliver services to them. 
Um, and I guess what we will see um, is a is a spike in in new partnerships. Um, uh, you know, how do we how do we deliver services to the rural areas? Um, how do we uh, capture a whole new markets uh, by leveraging the technology that we currently have. But also, I think it's important to learn from um, what is happening outside of South Africa. Um, and I think if you, you look at the, you know, the the uptake of technology locally, um, there's a level of education that still needs to be invested in. Um, and hopefully, um, if we look at some of the the challenges that we're seeing even in the education space where um, you know a lot of schools... Um, are now moving, you know, everything onto uh, online learning, and just that challenge alone um, is showing us that we need to start, um, you know, looking at how we can um, invest more money in tech, but also to help different industries. And I must say, like I've been really quite impressed um, when you consider when you consider the the you know the the way in which we've handled the last three to four months. Um, I think the question is, is you know, how do we turn um, this into job opportunities? Um, and I say this, you know, in the nicest way possible. But if I think about um, Amazon, you know, web services entering the market, um, they created you know something over like three thousand jobs in South Africa. Um, and I just wonder, you know, how many people. Um, will be educated enough or skilled enough to take on those jobs. Um, if it's very tech savvy, I'm not too sure, but I think it just pretty much like showed us that we need to put some time um, into into the digital landscape. And working with, I mean, you've worked with a vast amount of different cultures. Firstly, I think that's the most important thing is working with different cultures, different personalities. What have you noticed? the main difference between, you know, dealing with a, a South African client or, you know, just the, the culture of South African businesses versus East and West Africa? Is there, you know, are we looking at things from a different perspective? What's your kind of main takeaway um, when dealing with these two or three different kind of cultures? Sure, that is a, that's a good question. <laughs> but um, I guess if I look at East Africa, I mean, when you're speaking with, um, business people or companies, organizations in Kenya, very, very, I wouldn't say nice, but people buy people. Um, and people in Kenya are always invested in creative ways of um, delivering something to um, the local uh, community. Um, so looking to, to help rather than gain a profit from it. So what I found is, you know, Kenyan business... Um, you need to really work with the relationship. You need to go to Kenya, see them face to face, spend time with them um, and be invested in their business. And I think time there is really, you know, time spent with the, with the company, uh, with the individuals, rather than seeing it, you know, as a business opportunity. Um, and I've enjoyed that. That interaction um, is something that is truly a Kenyan way of doing business and be open to learn on how to do things the Kenyan way. Um, and they will tell you, this is not the Kenyan way. You know, there's many companies that have tried uh, to, to enter Kenya and have failed because they go in there with their own mindset. Um, and you need to humble yourself in that market and obviously in a respectful way. 
But what I have found when you look at, you know, West Africa, when you look at Nigeria, very direct. I mean, um, they really don't beat around the bushes. Um, and that is, that is, that is good business. Um, they move fast. Um, there's a lot of competition um, across different industries. So if you're really wanting to capture someone's attention, um, you need to really come prepared. Um, why are you different? Um, but also, you know, what is the value and the benefits of us working together, considering the market space? And also just never think you know everything in Nigeria. Um, it's, there's a lot happening. Um, and if you're not on the ground, uh, it's easy to miss. Um, and I think what I have um, heard from uh, Nigeria is that if it's a yes, it's a yes. We're going to work with you. Um, let's talk business. Um, and there's no sort of friendly banter um, in that process. But, you know, once you're working together, it's all good. But I think in, in South Africa, it's it's often, I guess it's, you know, as South Africans, we, we are, <laughs> we position ourselves as uh, people who are quite open to suggestions. Um, but I, I find that uh, sometimes you need to, you sort of cushion South Africans, I'd be like, you know, this is a good idea, but it's your idea. Um, you make it, you know, what's in it for you, uh, rather than let's let's work together, let's do business together. It's always like, you know, what is in it for you? Um, and through that, I think it's it's a, a mutual understanding. Um, <laughs> it's quite a, a trick one to navigate. Um, I must say I've been very much passionate about, uh, you know, working with people outside, but locally it's always a bit, a bit tougher. But um, I guess that also shows the level of, you know, I know exactly what you want. Um, let's just let's just make sure we're on the same page, um, and just to humble yourself in that manner too. But um, yeah, it's it's it, it varies, I guess, uh, depending on um, who you're speaking to. Yeah, and I think it comes back to us kind of being a little fearful of that transition because it's you know it's so it, it's almost like you just fear that you know something may go wrong. So you almost I mean I'm in the the online space as well, offering services. And it's kind of like you have to, like you say, you're cushioning them. You're trying to make it as comfortable for them as possible. You're trying to state all the risks, you know, every single thing to the point where you, you it's like a, a month-long conversation. <laughs> but um, it's just, like you say, I think it's a bit of fear. Um, just It's a new world, you know what I mean? The, the possibilities are endless, but it's a new world that brings new challenges and new risks. Um, I mean, sorry to cut you there, but I think something quite interesting is if you look at TikTok, for example. TikTok, I mean, this has become a, a channel that everyone um, has been using. And um, I was quite shocked the other day um, within the office, you know, we we're just sharing um, general knowledge. Um, but <clears throat> the, the number of TikTok users, you know, compared to Facebook, I think TikTok users are sitting at like 8 million and that's really that's really high um, for you know a platform that has you know recently uh, launched, and something like that has now become an interest for um, you know companies within South Africa where they're like you know how can we leverage TikTok um, to improve our marketing strategy or develop engagement with our um, customers and um, you know uh, potential uh, customers too, um, and understanding these uh, channels is now becoming, um, you know, more of a focus. So in the past, you know, you would need to speak to someone, um, you know, in South Africa and say, look, like, 
this is uh, social media, um, but there is more than that. You know, there's other social media channels um, where we can dive into. Um, and we're quite stubborn in sticking with the traditional way of doing things. You know, print is the way, broadcast is the way. Um, but, I mean, you know, during COVID, it was completely the, the opposite, you know. Uh, print was no longer relevant. Um, and everyone started investing on, on online. Um, and I think, I think really navigating and understanding, you know, how do you measure ROI on um, social media is really the 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 topic of of, of um, importance here too and i think it comes back to you know this obviously uh covid19 has accelerated all of these events i mean this um was something kind of you know like a three four year down the line we probably would have integrated but i think we all have been we've all been kind of pushed into this this world because that's how you make money now like you say, the print print has been dead. You don't want to leave your house, so it's not like you're going to go pick up a newspaper or a magazine because, you know, firstly you don't know where it's been and the touching and the whole kind of fear with that. So it's just interesting how this has accelerated all of these new um, uh, kind of marketing strategies for businesses, um, and I think it's it's a good thing. It's just come at a at a difficult time, obviously. But I think in the future we'll we'll reap the the benefits of this transition. Uh, what has obviously you've just mentioned TikTok as a rising trend, you know, with people being at home. What other interesting trends have you picked up during this time, um, especially over the the past four or five months? Have you seen uh, an increase in certain um, you know apps being used and kind of the way businesses have approached it? Yeah, I think the the one big one is obviously Facebook. Uh, Facebook will forever be the social media, um, you know, channel that is used the most uh, across Africa and, and mostly many markets. Um, but another interesting one is also WhatsApp. Um, I think, I think if people, you know, talk about social media, WhatsApp never really pops uh, pops up or Weibo um, and other channels. And for me, WhatsApp has really been um, something that has uh, sprung up in a lot of conversations. Um, if we take a step back to, you know, t- topics like uh, fake news, you know, what, what is fake news and how is fake news uh, spread? Um, and unfortunately, if we look at uh, some of the examples around, um, you know, fake news, uh, we can't help but think about um, the spread of fake news during uh, Ebola. Um, and we started seeing a similar trend uh, with COVID-19 where a lot of publications or should I say sources uh, is spreading uh, fake news around uh, COVID-19 um, and you know I had this uh, discussion with uh, someone else as well um, about it but um, what we noticed that also just spreading fake news on WhatsApp um, has become a big big trend um, and that's that for me has been quite a, a big uh, surprise but um I guess if you look at um, you know Facebook, there's a lot of discussions right now around that as a social channel, um, and I guess we can always you know use examples like um, you know BLA movement, um, the use of uh, social media to uh, boycott, um, and also obviously uh, to raise your your opinion, um, but also the use of um, yeah I guess things like um, 
I won't say it at Twitter because that's almost becoming um, just a place where uh, news becomes uh, viral. But for me, Facebook has been the hot topic um, and a hot channel um, across many markets. Um, and I think it's safe to say that, you know, Mark is under pressure um, to, to do quite a lot of things. And who knows, you know, maybe we'll see social media becoming more regulated uh, moving forward or becoming regulated, should I say. Yeah. I think uh, Facebook's interesting because um, amongst us younger, the younger generation, um, you know, they always say Facebook's like for the older people kind of, you know, that's the perception. But what I find is with businesses, they tend to focus more on Facebook because those are the people with um, buying capacity. You know, they are the older people, which means they do kind of have the money to buy your product. Have you kind of seen um, that from your the businesses you've dealt with and just the, in the industry alone, um, that Facebook is kind of the go-to um, channel to kind of make sales? Because for me, I feel like Facebook is for sales. Um, it's easier to kind of generate um, sales from it. But then, you know, Instagram and Twitter are more for your awareness kind of purposes, you know, just to kind of get that alert are to other audiences but i think facebook is kind of more the main target is that something you you found amongst the the businesses yeah i think also what's quite interesting with facebook is that there's been a lot of um changes um and api restrictions that have happened um post a cambridge analytica incident uh, with the um, content being leaked and i think yeah. a better understanding of that is needed um, for a lot of companies um, operating across Africa because there are limitations um, in some of the, you know, the data we can crawl on Facebook for any media monitoring provider. Um, and I think what we all slowly see is that, um, you know, the amount of information we can get from Facebook is not going to be, um, <laughs> it's not going to really help um, uh, much as it used to in the past. But um, yes, 100%, I do think that uh, Facebook is still a dominant uh, social channel um, for all things um, you know, sales or marketing related. Um, but I guess we'll see how that plays out with uh, you know, currently Unilever and the likes of Coke um, banning all advertisements on Facebook. I mean, that's you know, billions of, uh, of dollars. So let's see how that plans out. But I must say, if you look at Instagram as well, it's, it's really doing well um, in terms of you know, positioning itself as an easier channel or a platform um, okay. to purchase uh, goods. I mean, if you look at your influencers, um, mostly all of them are really giving giveaways or sharing links to quickly purchase a particular product. Um, and I think we'll start seeing more of that. Um, and even just dominant social influencer platforms have become like crm tools um and you can you know you can even make uh payments across um uh, those tools and uh, a majority of influencers um, you know they, they predominantly uh, run some of their uh, promotions or companies their promotions on instagram so i think we'll start seeing a lot of uh, other channels being being used um but yeah, I think I think uh, Instagram is is looking uh, to shape up as well. And I think it comes back to Instagram, Facebook being um, owned while well, they um, under the same umbrella. Um, so it's kind of like they've, you know, obviously the the people at Facebook have kind of 
experienced the, the, the highs and the lows and they're now sort of just doing everything right with Instagram because they, they've slowly implemented and, and they, I mean, they kind of taking on every single platform that they don't own. They're taking them on in a certain way. I mean, stories from Snapchat, IGTV from YouTube. So I think, you know, they obviously have a plan there and I think that's kind of heading to be the new Facebook in a sense because all of us from the, you know, the Gen Z to the the millennials, that's our go-to platform. So I think they're kind of slowly making it the new Facebook. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of grows as Facebook now kind of struggles through this phase of, of um, ad revenue being pulled. And just your thoughts on, on, on corporates like Coke and, and um, Unilever and all these other big brands pulling money from, from um, Facebook ads. Is that just to kind of spark that conversation that needs to be had? Do you think that's kind of the, the, the goal of that? Look, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think for... I think for every, you know, country, it can be looked in a different way. Um, you know, I guess the the freedom of speech um, is something that everyone is, you know, every country or um, or every person has fought for. Um, and social media has always been the channel that people can share their opinions. Um, and and unfortunately, um, you know, we have people that will take advantage of social media um, and, you know, use it to manipulate um, particular agendas. Um, and there are obviously plenty of examples of that that I won't go into. But um, I think overall, you know, the question here is, you know, should that, should it be regulated? Um, you know, should content that is harmful to society be, um, you know, I guess, removed? Um, and I think the big question here is, you know, is Facebook in a position to do that as well? I mean, I think it is asking for a lot for Facebook to, you know, be the, the person um, who says, you know what, this is something that will harm society versus someone who maybe is qualified to do so. So where do you cross the line? I'm not too sure. But I do think it is um, addressing a, a big issue um, where we do not want to uh, see content that you know will will share the wrong message, um, and you know we've seen the the impact that uh, fake news or um, hurtful content can have on on a country, a you know, nation, even globally, um, and that and those are things that should be um, fought for and discussed um, on an open table. So I think it's a it's it's a good topic to to have, and I'm interested to see where it will end up for for Mark. And you being, you know, so heavily involved with businesses and, and the online space, what has, is there, has there been anything that's come up recently that's kind of got, gotten you excited um, amongst the prospects of online um, business integration? Is there something that you feel maybe, you know, kind of sneaking up? Like you say, WhatsApp has kind of, it, it may not be the, the best thing that it's become this fake news spreader, but it's kind of, interesting to see how well it's done in you know getting that message across has there been something that's kind of sparked your 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 interest in the online space um i will try to answer your question the best way i can but i think what's quite interesting at the moment um is that a lot of companies are, are looking to understand things like um consumer insights um and you know what 
is your audience's um, buying habits um, and really trying to, to map up your demographics and some of the things that, you know, makes them uh, tick on social media or makes them spend money, which channels do they affiliate themselves with? And I think um, understanding your audience um, and not only looking at yourself as an organization or a brand, but also just tapping into, you know, in the following that I have or um, the audience, you know, that is interested in us as an organization, um, what are some of the, 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 the habits that we're seeing online um, that will help us tailor and position our content in such a way that it engages with this particular um, audience segment versus this one that is maybe interested in rugby, um, but they still love our brand, but we can now start shaping um, and putting them into different communities. Um, and I think that understanding um, is, is, is really becoming um, more of a need. Um, and I guess if I had to put it in, in you know, in one word, uh, most people say, you know, what, a, what is the, the audience insights um, that we can now understand from the current social media um, uh, transformation and also um, the current activity on social media that will help inform brands. Um, but most importantly, it's, you know, no longer about um, us as a brand or organization. It's about the people and how we can obviously win them over and form a relationship. And I mean, there's a lot of companies that are a good example of that. And I think personally in South Africa, I mean, if you think about Nando's, phew, when it comes to the way in which they execute on, um, you know, marketing content or, um, you know, adverts that are aligned to what is currently happening on the ground versus the, the mood and the thoughts of, you know, a fellow South African or people in South Africa, it's almost spot on. Um, and there are, there are plenty of examples like Coca-Cola on a global scale as a brand. I mean, their marketing execution is um, is also um, seen as a, as a unique uh, approach to, to marketing. And that's truly because they invest in audience insights and understanding um, what the audience um, does on a day-to-day. -day. I think, yeah, with, with Nando's, it's an interesting one because, you know, like you say, audience insights is so massive uh well it's a growing um interest with businesses now but for the bigger businesses that have kind of invested in that if you look at the way they approach their marketing it's very um comedic meme-like kind of content and if you look at what's been the the majority of the the content we find amongst south africans in general facebook tiktok twitter and instagram it's memes i mean it's the comedic factor that's kind of what we've been um, diving into so it's it's just a testament to the importance of your audience you know looking at what gets them going like you said and I think they've done it to like you say they've they've basically perfected their their marketing approach in the South African market because you we see something funny the first thing we do is we want to share it and I mean they they've literally um, done it to the best of their ability they've they've managed to find the right kind of balance between not being too controversial, but being funny enough where it takes away from that. So yeah, I think uh, Nando's is the perfect example of investing in that, the audience insight and what we want to see. And in return, it's not like they 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 openly advertising their quarter chicken meal. 
you know, they're just making a meme and they, you'll kind of just um, gravitate towards them as, you know, your next meal. Um, and, I, and I think, I think engagement is, is really what brands have been trying to achieve whilst people have been on lockdown, especially in South Africa. But also it's been that um, and remaining relevant um, as, a, as a brand and organization. Um, but also, I mean, if I maybe look at <clears throat> example of a really interesting um, organization that I've uh, come to work with and, you know, they're based out in Nigeria um, and they've really used social media as a way to listen um, and, um, and help uh, victims of gender-based violence um, in Nigeria. And what they've done is that they've taken, um, you know, social media listening um, and they've been able to, you know, track for particular keywords, topics or conversations that are associated to, um, you know, victims of uh, gender-based violence. Um, and we all know that it's obviously a, been, a, been, a, been on the rise in many countries. Um, and <clears throat> why I mention them is because, you know, through listening on social media, they've been able to actually identify um, victims that uh, are looking to, you know, escape um, because of the difficult conditions of being at, at home during the lockdown. Um, and what that prompted is uh, an opportunity for that uh, NGO to actually partner uh, with a, a local um, hailing uh, provider, hailing cab. Um, and what that what that meant for them is that you know when something like this is identified through social listing, you know there's already um, you know that particular uh, cab being um, dispatched to that house, um, and they'll be able to assist during those crises. And I think things like this is really good to see, um, and also just forges those partnerships um, and opportunities uh, for for similar uh, victims and for NGOs um, to tap into to that too. But on the engagement side, I actually came across a really interesting um, post, someone on LinkedIn that uh, they shared. So what they did is that um, obviously on LinkedIn, you have your different uh, reaction icons, um, you know, one being a thumbs up, clap, etc. Um, and this person, um, super clever, I think it also just shows that engagement, the need to, to actually understand if your audience is you know, with you, um, can be done so quickly and easily, but they pretty much just, you know, uh, posted something like, you know, this is a quick poll, um, you know, which continent are you using LinkedIn from? And they would have those different reaction points and like the thumbs yeah. up will be Europe, other one, the heart is uh, Africa. And I just find that really just so simple. Um, and I think with the, the investment in uh, these specific KPIs or features, so uh, sorry, on social media, will really start helping um, brands and organizations to understand um, their, their, their audience um, and also their customers. Um, so we should see a lot more uh, of that where you, you're actively engaging and sharing um, your input. Kind of just to kind of round or to close off, working in this this space for for so long now obviously myself as well being in the the online space we understand the need and the the power of um the internet as a whole not to say just uh social media channels but the internet um what's your best way to kind of sum up how powerful a tool is 
online the online space and how businesses can use that to to kind of best um, improve their their business and their offerings. Well, I guess it's safe to say that you know <clears throat> we have seen a large amount of data um, being shared across multiple multiple platforms, um, and I mean if I, I look at the amount of online news sources that you know Maltwater alone tracks um, on a on a global scale. You know, we cover over 390,000 news sources um, and on a daily basis, we're continuously adding and adding uh, news sources that are, are cropping up. But I was also quite shocked to, to hear that um, and also to see the number of social channels that have also uh, come to light. Um, and we're talking, uh, you know, over 300 million social media channels that are out there. Um, and the, the, the impact and the importance of um, you know, social media is, is it can anything can really go viral um, and anything shared, an opinion or a comment uh, can be taken up by one person and can easily be disseminated across multiple, multiple um, profiles and channels. And that could easily hurt um, or in this case, um, you know, promote a particular brand uh, organization, organizational person. So I think the importance of social media has definitely been um, seen and felt uh, by many companies, um, you know, th either through the Facebook uh, uh, incidents, but also the power of it um, to, to rally people together, like the BLM movement, um, and also just exposing gaps uh, within um, industries. Uh, so if we look at um, the education space, most, most especially in Africa, we really have seen, um, you know, the the lack of um, technology to support the education space, um, and this has been shared uh, like quite widely on social media by parents um, who are, you know, disappointed or angry about um, it, and all those opinion can sum up to it um, impacting um, a country or a, an industry or a particular um, org. So I think the, the, the power of, uh, of social media is definitely um, is there. And I think a lot of companies should take, take note of, um, you know, how to obviously um, yeah, jump onto it before it becomes a, a, an issue. And I guess maybe uh, also just to end off on my side, um, there's a country that really inspires me when it comes to all things um, digital transformation um, or the race to, to transformation. And that's really um, Rwanda. I think if uh, we, we look at what Rwanda has been doing um, and President Paul uh, Kagame, I think there's a lot of learnings there um, where they really have invested um, a lot of money into the innovation city. Um, and we've seen the same being um, tried out in, uh, in Kenya through, uh, you know, Konza uh, Technopolis area. And I think if we, if anything, um, as Africa, uh, we should really look um, to invest in ourselves um, and not look for investment outside um, and also just have the mindset um, to, to mobilize um, rather than seeking for, for, for funding because we really have everything that we need in real terms. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to read up on, uh, on Rwanda, it's definitely a, a good uh, case study to, to dive into. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time. Um, really appreciate you coming on and it's also nice to hear the 
the perspective from someone who's you know so heavily involved in Africa and kind of the misconceptions that you know us South Africans have um, on the rest of Africa and kind of what we can learn from them really I think that's kind of the, the main thing to take away from this conversation is just that we are behind even though um, there's always this misconception that we are the leading business um, hub of Africa so it's just good to to hear that perspective and hopefully um, the right people will hear this message and kind of take that into and put it into action yeah I'm, I'm happy to to have discussions anyone who wants to talk all things Africa but uh, thank you for having me Shannon um, and uh, yeah looking forward to further discussions